Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, team. Well, good morning again, church. How are you? Good morning. Glad that you guys are here. Hey, before we jump in uh, for the sermon today, a couple opportunities uh, more I want to make you aware of. These are very unique classes uh, that we're going to be starting up. The first one uh, is a divorce care class. And we've been talking about this the past couple weeks. Uh, and look, sadly, divorce is a reality for many of us in this room. It's certainly uh, true for many of us in our area. Uh, there's never been a good divorce. Uh, it is always painful. It is always hard, which is why we don't want you to have to deal with that by yourself. We want to make sure that you've got some resources and just some community to help you walk through some of the pain that you might be experiencing. And that's what this divorce care class uh, really is. It's led by Dr. Stephen Cloud, uh, who helps out. He counsels a lot of folks here at the church, got a lot of training in biblical counseling. Uh, he would love to help you with this. It's an eight-week class. We do need you to pre-register, but we'll be kicking that off on February the 7th. And so if this will be helpful to you, but also not just to you, you might know somebody in the neighborhood, somebody in your life, somebody just around you who is struggling, man, encourage them. Say, hey, hey, this is a class for you. You're going to be in this class with people right in your same stage of life, your same circumstance. Man, come get some help to help you navigate these treacherous waters. I mean, we'd love for you to come to our divorce care class starting up on Wednesday, February the 7th. A different class, though, uh, is also on our, our dynamic marriage class. And so this is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. We want all of our marriages to be thriving in this room, not just surviving, but thriving. And so if you find your marriage in a good place, but you want to get even better, you say, I, mean, I, I want to move into yet an even greater season in the life of your marriage, that's what this class is for. Mark and Laura DeGunther, have led multiple sessions of this class. Many couples in our church have gone through this and it has been life-changing for them. Uh, but we'd love for you to join that as well. So I want you to talk to your husband, talk to your wife and say, hey, I would really like to be a part of Dynamic Marriage. It also starts up on Wednesday, February the 7th. You gotta pre-register for that as well. Uh, these are just different classes than our DOU classes or our, our community groups. They're very specific, uh, but they're very impact impactful. So we would love for you to be a part of those. Please sign up for those. If either one of those would help you again, and they start up on February the 7th, and I hope you'll take advantage of those. But now grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. As we round out uh, a few weeks where we've been talking about our core values. Who are we as a church? What is it that the Lord is asking us to do as a people together? And we've really been addressing this issue of how to change the world. Is it actually possible? Is this something that the Lord is asking of us that we would change the world that's around us? And the answer we have found is that that is an emphatic yes. God has put us here to effect change, to build his kingdom, that the world would be different because we are here. But the other thing we found out is that the mechanism for effecting that change might be different than what you expected. The mechanism for actually seeing that change might not be in these grand actions. Instead, it comes down to very specific ways of becoming a disciple, ways of growing as a disciple. And they correspond with our core values. We said we want to grow in spiritual maturity. We want to live in spiritual community. And this week, we're going to look at our third value. We want to serve in spiritual charity. So two weeks ago, we looked at our first one where we said we want to grow in spiritual maturity. That is a goal for everybody here at Double Oak. Not just for a few of us. This isn't just for our kids or our students who are growing up for the first time in their faith. This is true for all of us, regardless of our age. We ought to be growing in our spiritual maturity, getting to know the Lord at a deeper level. 
Look, some of you might have grown up in a spiritual tradition that didn't really emphasize getting to know the Lord. You might have had uh, acts of service or works or even just knowledge emphasized, but encountering the Lord, knowing the Lord, loving the Lord, enjoying the Lord. This might not have been what you grew up with, but that's exactly what the Lord desires for us, that we would grow in our spiritual maturity. And this year, one of the ways we're challenging everybody to participate in that is we're challenging everybody to read the entire New Testament this year. Regardless of how many times you've read it, we want to all read collectively the New Testament this year. We're only a couple weeks in. And so look, if you want to catch up and join with us, if you're new, man, it's only going to be a few chapters to do that. Even, but, but you don't even have to do that. Just start today. We're doing five chapters a week. And over a course of this year, we will all read the entire New Testament. I would love for you to join with us as we grow in our spiritual maturity. Then last week, we talked about living in spiritual community. There is a context in which this growth happens. You're not supposed to do this all by yourself. This is not just being handed to you individually. No, we do this in a context. We get to know one another. God puts this together in a body. And he says, listen, I want you to be growing as a people together. And so one of the things we challenge for everybody this year is, hey, we want you to be a part of a group of some kind. We just mentioned two of them. We've got men's groups. We've got women's groups. We mentioned those a minute ago. We've got community groups. We've got a youth group. We've got so many different groups, different ways for you to get connected to other believers in this church, brothers and sisters, men and women, that they're going to get to know you and you're going to get to know them so you can help them grow and they're going to help you grow. This is what it means to live in spiritual community. It's a little messy, but it's real and the Lord does powerful things through it. And so don't settle for just coming to a service or just coming to worship, but we really want you to get involved, get to know people. And so I encourage you to join a group of some kind this year. But lastly, that leads us to our third core value. We want to serve in spiritual charity. Now, what do we mean when we say charities? Adam, why would you use the word charity? I don't understand that maybe fully. Why did we choose this word? Well, first off, it rhymed with the other two words, and that was very helpful. It really was. Um, But uh, it has some other added benefits. Uh, When we say charity, here's what we mean. We just mean love. That's what the word means. The word means to love. It's a kind of an older way of saying love. In fact, if you got an old King James version of the Bible and you look up the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't say love is patient, love is kind. It will say charity is patient. Charity is kind. It's a very specific way of saying love. And here's the advantage that this word has. Charity is always outward focused. When you think about charity, it is always outward focused. When we're talking about serving and spiritual charity, God is asking us not to look in, but to look out. We look in with spiritual growth and even with our our community of faith. When we can do charity, we are to point outward. We are to love those who are around us. And look, that outward focus is actually very important because you and I live in a very self-centered culture, a self-focused culture. And honestly, this isn't even very new. Uh, Right at the beginning of the 20th century, the BBC put out a a four-part documentary looking at the history of America in the West, and they entitled it The Century of Self. Think about that. The entire 20th century, we entitled The Century of Self of self. And man, we have just turned that up to 11 in the 21st century, have we not? Uh, We've talked about other people who've talked about this. Carl Truman wrote his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern 
self. We talk a lot about radical expressive individualism, this idea that everything revolves around us. We're always talking about our identity, our brand. Think about social media and how we're always trying to present ourselves to others. And look, how could we not be self-focused? Especially for a secular culture that says, we don't believe in in a God. Everything is about me. There's no overarching uh, morality. I get to invent my own. There's no overarching meaning. I get to invent my own. Everybody does their own thing. How could you not focus on yourself? That's all there is. And and so we have lived in this culture that forces us really to to think only about ourselves or at least start with ourselves. C.S. Lewis, when, when he would write about this, even back in the 40s and 50s, he would say, I don't like this term selfless. He was writing about charity and about how we are to love one another. And he says, I don't like this idea of selflessness because even that word starts with ourselves. When I'm being selfless, you're still thinking about yourself first, whereas charity is always outward focused. It starts with others. It starts with other people. And this is what Jesus is asking of us because look, that's what Jesus does for us, does he not? Jesus thinks about us first. When Jesus comes to save us, what does he do? He lays aside his glory. He literally lays aside all that he is rightfully due and he takes on the form of a servant and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he loves us. He's not thinking about what he ought to get. He's thinking about giving to us. This is agape. This is love. This is the heart of our Savior, And if we are to live in him, we must serve in spiritual charity just like he does. And look, you can see that in the verses we've already looked at over the course of this short series. Go back to the great commandment where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. I want you to love one another. In the same way that I loved you, think about that. In the same way that I have loved you, that's sacrificially, I want you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We saw the Great Commission where Jesus gives us this command to go and make disciples. We are to be disciples who then go and make disciples. We teach the gospel, but we also teach them everything that Jesus commanded And we saw how that played out in in Acts 2 and the rest of Acts and how they loved sacrificially. And you even saw it last week in our kind of our base passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me look at verses 15 through 17. Look what it says here. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, And then I I say this, testifying the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. But we look up here in 15, 16, and 17, we are to grow up in love. We are to build up in love. We are to grow, grow and serve in love. Right? These are the things that Jesus is asking us to do. We are to serve in spiritual charity. But what does that look like? How do we actually do that in the real world? What do we really mean when we say we as a people ought to serve in spiritual charity? What does it look like? And for that, uh, we're going to find ourselves now in Luke chapter 10. You ought already to be there. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 You'll see that title there, the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Now, this morning, we're not going to dive into the parable in all of its depths and all of its details. We have done that before, and I'm sure we'll do that again. But this morning, I want you to think about a very specific context. I want you to think about the context in which this parable was spoken. Because remember, parables are not true stories. They are made up stories, made up by Jesus to convey a point. But Jesus is saying this to very particular people at a particular time. And so I want you to think about, before we get to the parable proper, what is going on in this circumstance? And so look at Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, and listen to what he says. And he says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, let's pause right there. All right, so this is the context in which the parable of the Good Samaritan is preached. You got a lawyer who's coming up to Jesus and he's challenging him. Now, when we're talking about lawyering here, we're talking about the spiritual law, the Torah, okay? This is the the law of the Old Testament. So this is a spiritual person and this spiritual lawyer is kind of giving Jesus the side eye, right? He's like, I don't know about you just yet. I don't know if you're the real deal. I don't know if you really know what you're talking about. And so he asks them this very basic question. Okay, so what's the most important commandment? People would argue about this for hours and days, and they would write books. It was a big question. And Jesus flips it on him and says, I don't know. What do you say? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, correct. Good job. So go do that and you will live. And then the lawyer has this rejoinder where he says, okay, then who is my neighbor? Leave it to the lawyer to get technical, right? Uh, Because he's trying to parse this out. And I think there's an attitude behind here that Jesus is trying to expose. Because really what the lawyer is saying is this. He's like, like, okay, I want to justify myself. Who exactly have I got to love? I want to know how many people I got to love. Who do I love and who do I not have to love? How many people do I have to love to make sure I get saved? How many people do I have to love to make sure I get to go to heaven because I want to love just enough to get to heaven and then I want to keep everything for myself. I want to go and do as little as possible to ensure that I've checked the box and then I want to be able to keep everything else for myself. You might say, well, you're reading quite a lot into that text. How do you know that that's there? Well, look at verse 29, and you can actually get a clue to this. It says, but he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's trying to take care of salvation on his own. Remember, he studied the law. He knows the law. He considers himself very spiritual. And so he is going to justify himself. And so he says, hey, listen, I'm starting with myself here first. I just need you to mark out the lines. Who is my neighbor so I can love as little as possible? And that's just not the attitude that we're going for here. And so in that context, Jesus now tells this very famous parable. So let's read it. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, Jesus does a little bit of spiritual jujitsu at the end of this parable. Did you catch it? Remember what the question was. The question was, who is my neighbor? The lawyer's trying to mark out, who have I got to love and who can I leave out of the list? Jesus tells the parable, but look what he says in verse 36. In verse 36, he says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus doesn't answer the question of who is his neighbor. He says, I'm not going to tell you who your neighbor is. I want you to be a neighbor. I want you to be the kind of neighbor who loves the people in front of him. Stop trying to mark out who is and who isn't in the category of love. No, I need you to be a neighbor to everyone you meet. This is the kind of love that I'm looking for. This is the kind of heart attitude I'm looking for. And so Jesus does a couple things here. Number one, he, he takes off all the limits. We, we can't exclude anybody. We can't say, well, I will love these people, but not those people. I will love this kind of person, but not that kind of person. We don't get to restrict our love to just people that we like or people in our tribe or people in our clique or people in our club or people who like our football team or people who do this or that. We say, I, don't, I like these people, but these people, I don't know if I want to love them. God, you send somebody else to love them. Jesus takes off all the limits. And he says, no, I don't care who it is. You are to love them as I love you. So he takes off all the limits. But here's the second thing he does by talking about being a neighbor. He doesn't ask us to love the entire world. He doesn't. Because think about it. When somebody says, I want you to love the entire world, what do we do? We go, okay, fine, I'll try. And by try, we mean do nothing. Because can you actually love everybody in the world? No, you cannot. You can't. You physically can't do it. You might even want to do it. You physically can't do it. And so we quit and say, I'll just try my best. Here's what Jesus just said. No, I want you to be a neighbor, which means the people that you encounter, the people that you live around, the people that you actually meet, that's who I want you to love. You don't have to love every single person on the planet, not all 8 billion of them, but I do want you to be a neighbor to anybody that you encounter. No limits except the people that you actually encountered. This is what it means to be a neighbor. So as he tells this parable, he wants us to have this same heart. We are to love and spiritual charity the people that are around us. Now look, I think most of us kind of know that that's probably what we're supposed to do. You might have heard this kind of thing before. You might not even from a pastor like me. You might have heard it from a, a parent, right? You might have just gotten this from a culture. You might say, Adam, I know I should do this. But, but lurking underneath all that is this question, and it's the question of the lawyer. And the question is this. Yeah, but what about me? Adam, I know it's not supposed to think about me, but, but, but what about me? Adam, it's fine to go and love other people, but who's going to take care of me? Listen, I can try to go and love other people, but who's going to love me? Who's going to take care of me? I can try to do this, but I'm concerned because who's actually going to take care of me? And that is a fair question. It's an honest question. 
And it's a question you must answer or you and I will never actually truly serve in spiritual charity. What's the answer to the question, what about me? And the answer is this, the person who's going to take care of you is the Lord. Because he loves you. He cares about you. Jesus is here talking to this lawyer in the eye. Do you understand the humility it takes on Jesus' part to lay aside his glory, to sit here and to receive the side eye from this lawyer who thinks he knows the law better than Jesus? And Jesus is still reaching out to him because he loves him. There is forgiveness. There is grace. There is acceptance. There is salvation. There is life in Jesus Christ for every single one of us, no matter who you are, how long you've been gone, no matter what you've done, no matter what you feel guilty about, no matter what you're ashamed of, the Lord is saying, I can take care of you. I will take care of you. Before we ever get to loving others, we have to receive the love of God, of believing at the depths of our being that I am truly loved by the Lord. But still you might say, okay, Adam, I know that God loves me maybe some, but I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if I've done enough. I don't know if I've served enough people. Adam, how do I know if I've really done all I'm supposed to do? How do I know if I've really kind of loved and served and done all I can? How do I know if what I've done is enough? another honest question. And for the answer, I have both good news and bad news. Let's start with the bad news first. Have you done enough? No. No, you haven't. It gets worse. You never will. You will fail miserably at this. And it does not matter who you are or how great you are, you will fail. You cannot do enough. But here's the good news. You don't have to. That's not what's being asked of you. The Lord is not asking us to do enough or accomplish enough or, or, or have all these things done. He says, no, I do those things. Go back to verse 29 and notice what it says. The lawyer is trying to justify himself. You see, that's the problem. He's trying to do it on his own, but we don't have to justify ourselves. We can't justify ourselves, which is why Jesus Christ comes and does everything for us. He says, don't put your faith in what you can accomplish. Put your faith in what I have already accomplished. You know why we can give out in spiritual charity? Because you and I have received all we need and more from Jesus. And it gets even better. You will never exhaust the well of his compassion for you. You cannot take enough water out of that well to, make, to drink it dry. You will always find more love, compassion, acceptance from the Lord when you and I stop trying to justify ourselves and we recognize that Jesus has already justified us. Guys, if you and I don't find our salvation, we don't find our confidence, we don't find our love in the cross of Jesus Christ, a couple things will happen. The first is this, you'll try to love other people, you will. Almost all of us try to be good to some people, not everybody, not that person, but some people will try to be good. Everybody does a good deed every now and then, but we'll quit. We will never serve in spiritual charity because I gotta take care of myself. Or the second thing, you'll get super resentful because you'll try and you'll help people, but they won't give enough back to you. They won't help you enough. They won't respond enough. And we start to get really resentful because what we're giving, we're not receiving. Well, guys, if you're looking for that from others, man, it's not gonna work. You can't siphon this kind of love out of anybody else. 
but you can find an inexhaustible amount in our Savior who loves us. And when you and I start back at the beginning, we grow in spiritual maturity. We're encountering the Lord. We're growing in the Lord. We're repenting and finding forgiveness and grace and cleansing again and again. When you and I abide in the Lord and grow in Him, man, He pours this life into us and makes it easy for us then to pour out in spiritual charity because we're always receiving from the Lord more than we could ever give out. That's how this works. And so that's why we didn't start here. We started with growing in spiritual maturity. We live in spiritual community. And now we serve in spiritual charity. And so if we can actually start with that perspective, then what does this actually look like? How do we do that? How do we serve in spiritual charity? And there's three things uh, that I would love for us to do, three ways that we can actually accomplish this in our life. First off is this, we need to serve the church. We need to serve the church. This links back to what we learned last week of living in spiritual community. Before we go out and serve the rest of the world, the Lord gives us this training ground. He gives us this little training operation called the church. Where all of us, united in our faith in Jesus Christ, get to learn how to serve one another, how to help one another. And so we make mistakes, there's a whole lot of grace in this place. We just kind of learn in this context. Because look, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. Did you know that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. Here's the weird thing that gift is not for you. It's not. You have a gift. That's not for you. It's for the rest of us. God gave you a gift that you are to use to serve us. And then here's the great news. All of our gifts are for you. All of the gifts of the church are for you because our job is to serve you. In the same way that you serve us, we are to serve you. And when everybody serves and when everybody gets served, everything works properly as it should, just like it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And so what you and I need to learn how to do is, is like, oh, discover my spiritual gift and then put it into practice. How do I actually use that spiritual gift? Look, there are going to be things that you can do better than other people. There's going to be gifts that you have and you're just better at this gift rather than that gift. You naturally gravitate to using this gift versus that gift. And I'm not talking about your personality. I'm not even talking about your job. I'm talking about a, a place where your heart connects to the mission of God and says, I want to use you in a particular fashion. And when you guys get connected with a bunch of other brothers and sisters, together it changes the world. It changes the very context that we are in. And before we ever do it out there, it starts here where we discover our spiritual gifts and then we learn to serve right here in this context. And look, we actually do need all of you to serve. If you are a member of this church, we need everybody doing something here at Double Oak. Everybody. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I am guilty of thinking, and I, I, this has happened at different points in my life, where I just assume when I got to a place, there was some other group of people who was just taking take care of everything, right? Like, like you get in, you go, oh yeah, we're, we're kind of here. But there's, other, like, there's a whole other level of people, and they take care of stuff. And so you come in, and the worship service happens, and the community groups happen, and all the ministries of the church happen, and we just assume there's this other level of people who are handling all of that, Right? Well, here's an experiment. I want you to look around the room, like right now. Like look to your left and your right. Like check out all the other people there, okay? They won't, they'll smile at you. Look at them. Look at them. Are right, you see them? You see all these folks? 
These are the people who make church happen. They're right here. This is it. There is no other group. He said, what about the second service? Yes, I know about the second service. <laughs> them too. But they look just like you and you're going to see them in the comments when you leave. It's not some other elite group of people who come in and make things happen. It's just us. We are the people that God has put here to accomplish all of these things. And guess what? All of those people were looking at you because they need you to fulfill your role, your function here at the church. And look, there are hundreds of ways that you can do this. We need people every single week pouring into our preschoolers to, to love them, to care for them, to nurture them. And even at the very youngest age, to be teaching them the stories of the Bible that they would grow to know Jesus Christ. We need people helping out in our kids' program. We don't do babysitting here. We're not doing childcare. We are teaching them the truths of the faith, how to know the word of Jesus Christ, how to grow up and understand who he is. Even at an elementary level, we need people helping out on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and all the different things that we do with our kids' ministry. We need it in our youth program. Guys, we've got a brand new youth minister who just started today. I believe it is harder to be a teenager now than almost any time in American history. And our teenagers need men and women to come alongside them. If you are the parent of a teenager, you know this. Your teens are not going to listen to you. What you need is another parent who is just like you to come alongside them and say the exact same thing that you told them yesterday. And when they tell them, they'll listen. Well, guess what? These other teenagers need you to do that for their kid. They need you to do it for their kid. Guess what? When we all do this together, we need to be pouring into our teenagers to come alongside them, to encourage them, to pray for them, to love them. We need people to do this in our youth ministry. We need our community groups, not just our teachers. We need those too. But people who help out with the prayer ministry and organizing that, people who are organizing uh, service projects, social projects, just kind of administering what a, a community group does. We need a ton of leadership just inside a community group. Look, we need deacons, we need elders. Yes, we're, we're looking at a wholesale change of our deacon ministry later in the year. You're gonna be hearing about that, but we're gonna have new, new teams that you can join, teams that you can help us get this whole thing happening on Sunday morning, not just making the coffee or being a, an usher or a greeter or helping out on connections team, but making sure this whole thing happens. a parking team. We need folks who can help love our widows to serve our shut-ins, people who can visit people in the hospitals, people who are gonna, gonna serve all the different needs in our congregation. We need folks on our finance team, our personnel team, our facilities team, our missions team. We got so many different opportunities for you to use your gift and to play your part to make this whole thing work. Guys, if we're not serving here, we're not going to serve out there. If we don't start in here, we're not going to do it out there. And so look, can I challenge you this year to find a place of service? Look, I will give you a promise. If you try something and you do not like it, we will not rope you into a 10-year contract. We will not. You don't have to leave the church and like steal away. Look, if you don't like it, just tell us. We don't like it. That's fine. You can quit. But try something out. Man, look at your gifting. Ask your friends and neighbors, man, what do you see in me? Where's the Lord using me? And they'll help guide you to a place where you can go, okay, try this, serve, and see what the Lord will do. It starts by serving our church. Here's the second thing. We serve our neighbors. We serve our neighbors. This is the next rung out. You say, well, who are our neighbors? Well, our neighbors are the other people that we live with, all right? This is our family, our friends, our coworkers, the people who you walk around and see when you're walking in your neighborhood, you see in stores, you see at your gym, you, you see, just people you interact with on a daily or weekly basis. These are our neighbors, and look, some of them are going to like you and some of them actually might not. Some of them might be easy to love and some of them might not. But we are called to be neighbors, to serve in spiritual charity anybody we encounter, even if they don't like us. 
I know we all feel the, the, the temptation is to say, well, I just want to kind of stay here in the church, right? That's easy. We're all on the same team, right? It's a little bit harder when I go outside, but, but we're not given that option. We're to love everybody, whether they're like us or not. You can see that in just the title of this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Look, that, that's easy for us. When we hear Good Samaritan, Good Sam, it doesn't, it doesn't have any emotional impact. You see that little sticker with the little goofy guy? I'm like, hey. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's easy, that's not how the first listeners heard this. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They did not get along. And Jesus purposely makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. Look, for some of us, you want to get some of the, uh, the impact of this? If Jesus were here today, it wouldn't be the story of the Good Samaritan. It would be the parable of the undocumented immigrant. Because he's the hero of the story. What? And now all of a sudden we get upset. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, there's no borders. There's no lines. He says, whoever you encounter, I want you to love them in Jesus' name. I want you to serve them. I want you to help them, whether they're a part of your political tribe, your economic bracket, your football team, your, uh, the, 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 the geography, the, the personality, whoever it might be. The Lord says, no, I want you to break through those barriers and go love them. Now look, this is probably not going to start with a gospel conversation. Most people don't respond to a gospel conversation right off the bat. Some people do, a lot of people don't. If people are actually going to hear us, we're going to have to serve them first. Philip Yancey was talking to, a, uh, he's the famous author, he was talking to an aid worker in Africa who gave him this aphorism, uh, hungry people have no ears. Hungry people have no ears. They're not going to listen to you when they're hungry. Feed them and then they'll listen to you. When you tell them the gospel, there's a lot of people who, listen, they love to talk about Jesus. They're trying to survive right now. Why don't we help them with what they're dealing with? I bet they're going to be a lot more open to hearing the gospel. And so we have to start with practical acts of service. This is why, by the way, we ask all of us at some point or level to try to get connected with one of our mission partners. We got mission opportunities here at the church. and We got mission opportunities outside of the church. So many local ministry partners that you can get connected with. People like Save a Life, who's right here in Chelsea. They're in Shelby County. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. There's people all across the country who are praying. They're giving thanks still that Roe v. Wade has been struck down, but we are by no means done. Why? Because there's still a ton of abortions going on in America. How do we come alongside ladies who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy and help them? Because look, if we're going to continue to be pro-life as a congregation, we can't simply vote about this. If we're going to tell people don't have a crisis or don't have an abortion, we need them to be there, not just for the moment where they're making that decision, but after that, when they have a child, to give them financial support and emotional support and educational support, to come alongside them for the long haul. And that's what groups like Save a Life have been doing for years, which is why we love to partner with them. And you can partner with them too. By volunteering, we've got folks who take care of hunger. People like Jim and Linda Jones who do Alabama Childhood Food Solutions. They've been doing it for years. Helping out in South Shelby County, feed the hungry right here in our area. Grace Klein is something very similar in the northern part of the city and in a lot of other areas as well. Opportunities for us to meet hunger and food insufficiency needs right here in our area. We got folks like the Foundry who are helping out the homeless and getting people back up on their feet. The Brother Brian Mission, we saw a video about them a couple weeks ago. Blanket Fort Hope that's helping people coming out of sex trafficking to say, hey man, how can we give you the healing that you need both emotionally, financially, physically as you're coming out of the situation to get you back on your feet? And I could go on and on with all of our local ministry partners. There are places for us to partner, to practically serve people and show them the love of Christ 
right here in our area. And I would really encourage you, man, partner with one of these groups. Get to know about them. Go with us on one of our church-wide trips out to some of these groups or with your community group. We're going to be doing some of those as well. But we need to be, excuse me, serving our neighbors. Now, quick time out, sidebar. Uh, let me go ahead and do a preemptive strike on Satan because when you finally get to a place where you say, okay, I'm going to go serve, the enemy is going to be at your elbow in a moment saying this, it ain't gonna matter. What are you gonna do? You gonna give an hour? Good for you. Look at you volunteering. You're not changing anything, man. You are not solving world hunger. You're not gonna fix sex trafficking. You're not gonna fix the problems of the world. You can't end all abortions in America. So, so what are you even doing, man? You're not gonna do anything. Just don't even start because it's not going to matter. And look, there's actually a part of that that's true because we're not gonna fix the problem. You and I are not single-handedly gonna end hunger in the world. We're not. Let's just be honest. We're not gonna be able, just us, to fix the problem. But that's not what's being asked of us. We're not being asked to fix all the problems. We're being asked to love our neighbors. We're being asked to serve however we can our neighbors. And so if these are the issues in front of us, then these are the issues we're gonna try to meet as best we can. And by the power of the Lord, he will actually do more than you and I could ever think was possible to transform these people's lives and everybody around them. And so don't try to go fix the problem, just serve in spiritual charity and see what the Lord will do. So we love our, we serve our church, we serve our neighbors, and then thirdly, we share the gospel. We share the gospel. If you and I are going to love our neighbors, sooner or later, we actually have to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are people who get in different camps on this. They go, Adam, listen, I, I think words are more important than deeds, and people who think that deeds are more important than words, right? You get your words guy, says, Adam, I don't need to do all that. I'm just gonna stand on the street corner. I'm gonna yell at everybody. I witnessed to a thousand people today. No, you didn't. You made it worse, all right? But I did the thing. I preached the gospel. I don't think you're helping, man. This is, this is not a good way of doing it. On the other side, do people go, Adam, I can't talk about the gospel. I don't want to offend them. I'm just going to do works. And they'll figure it out. How are they going to figure it out if you don't tell them? How are they going to know about Jesus unless we actually tell them? We got to stop pitting words and deeds against one another. We need both. Look, when I do a marriage, I want to see a couple things happen. Look, if I do a wedding ceremony and they do all the vows, but they don't kiss at the end, I got concerns, all right? You can kiss a bride, Mm-mm. okay, I got concerns. There better be some deeds that go along with these words. But guess what? If I start a wedding ceremony and all they're doing is making out, but they can't actually get the vows out, I still have concerns. Because you can't just have the deeds, you gotta have the words, you gotta have the vows that go along with the words. They both go together. And so if we're gonna serve people, we don't simply do acts of kindness and charity. We also have to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, yeah, but Adam, I don't see that in this parable. I don't see that in the text. How do you see that that's what the Good Samaritan is doing? Well, let's remember that Jesus is saying this in a particular context, but this is also not the only thing that Jesus says. And it's certainly not the only thing that Jesus does. So how does Jesus act? when it comes to sharing words and deeds. So let me show you another passage. This is in Luke chapter four, verses 40 through 44, which P.S., both of these passages should have been in your readings these past couple weeks. These ought to be familiar to you. In Luke four, Jesus is starting his ministry and look what happens. It says, now when the sun was setting, all those who, were, uh, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. 
And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, check this out, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him. They would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Here's Jesus who has the power to heal anybody. And while there's still people in the hospital, he goes to another town. Why would you do that? We know God loves people. Why would he do that? Because this is why I came. I must preach the good news of the gospel. I must must preach the good news of the kingdom because if people do not meet Jesus Christ, their physical healing is temporary. It is a temporary reprieve, but it's not meeting their greatest need. And so, yes, Jesus healed physically, but even more important, he spoke the gospel to people. And guys, we must speak the gospel to our neighbors. We must tell them about Jesus Christ. We must tell them that there's life in Jesus Christ. And if we do not do this, guys, it is a failure of love on our part. If we fail to tell our neighbors about the love and life of Jesus Christ, it is a failure of love on our part. Imagine this. Uh, Let's imagine you've got a a single friend, all right? Uh, I was that single friend for many people for a lot of years, okay? I want you to imagine that you have this single friend. They've been looking for their their, their, their spouse, right? They've been looking for the person they're going to spend the rest of their life with, and they cannot find them. But you meet their soulmate one day. The Lord speaks to you and says, you see that person right there? That's a soulmate for your friend. Right there, that's a soulmate. I'm gonna show you first. What would you expect me to think if you knew where this person's soulmate was and you never told them about it? You knew absolutely where this person was. They've been looking for their whole life and we failed to tell them? If I saw that, here's what I would assume. One of two things is true. Either one, you don't love that person very much Or two, you don't actually think marriage would help them all that much. I either don't care about that person enough to help them, or I don't actually think introducing them to this person and letting them get married and have 50 years with this person would actually be of benefit to them. Guys, when you and I fail to tell other people about Jesus, it reveals a couple things. Either number one, we don't care about people enough. Or two, we don't actually believe that giving them Jesus would transform their lives for the better. We either don't care enough about them or we don't actually believe that them knowing Jesus would be the best thing that ever happened to them. But that's what we believe. We do care and we do believe that Jesus is life itself. Why would we not then tell other people and say, listen, I want you to know the greatest truth there is. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know him and I want you to know him. Why would we not speak the gospel to our neighbors? And so look, I'm not asking you to get on street corner or on your neighborhood or anywhere else and put on a sandwich board and go go nuts and be weird. What then are we asking? Well, how about this? How about you invite him over for dinner? How about you get to know him? Don't treat him like a project. Treat him like a friend. Talk to him. Get to know him. Let them know that you'll be there for them. And that they can count on you. And when you prove yourself to be a friend, make sure at some point to start a gospel conversation 
so that you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people right around us who desperately need him. You know what's going to happen? When we serve the church, when we serve our neighbors, when we speak the gospel, God changes the world. He changes us, and he changes everything around us. He's got a 2,000-year track record of making this work. And it'll work for us too if we grow in spiritual maturity, live in spiritual maturity, live in spiritual community, and serve in spiritual charity. So do this for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment we're going to sing a song that was written by folks right here at Double Oak. And it, it just asks a simple prayer, God, send revival. Send revival. And I have that prayer, and I hope that you have that prayer. But Jesus isn't just waiting for us to say the right words at the right time. He says, I've given you a game plan for that. You can see revival. Just, just walk my path. And so I wonder if as we pray this prayer today, as we sing this song, as we cry out to the Lord for him to bring this revival, what if, what if the Lord is saying back to us, he goes, okay, then join me. Let's do it. I need you to grow in spiritual maturity. Are you willing to do that this year? I need you to live in spiritual community. Are you willing to make that a priority this year? I need you to serve in spiritual charity. Where are the particular places you can do that right now? Not for the whole world, just you in your context. Where am I giving you opportunities? And what would that look like? And see what he will do. We might just see that revival after all. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for inviting us into your work, not just to sit in the stands and watch what you do, but to get down on the field and play, to, to, to be a part of it, God, to, to experience it. God, we don't even have all the, the abilities to do it. You just give us those too. We don't know where the opportunities are, and you give us those as well. We don't even get it right all the time, and you give us more chances. What an amazingly gracious and loving God. And so, Father, as we drink deeply of your love for us, would you fill us up to such an extent that we could not help but to share that love with everybody around us? God, we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done. We want to see our neighbors come to faith. We want to see this world changed and your glory cover the earth. Would you show us how to do that right here in our context with our people? God, give us specific ways of doing that and we will say yes to you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.